sin, because of its very nature, if it can even be said to have one, considering it is commonly regarded as a privation of non-being, is not intelligible. In reflecting on this statement, it is helpful to consider first what intelligibility is. In the philosophical tradition of the West, simply put, the intelligible is what can be grasped from an object. For an analogy of sorts, if you look at an apple, you may grasp that it is round and green. Maybe even through these signs of roundness and greenness you will reason your way to the fact that it is also unripe, because of prior knowledge of plant biology. But the intelligible is the nature of appleness. Now there is much more than can be said on this idea, but this is not a reflection on intelligibility and forms an abstraction. Rather, in pointing to this concept of intelligibility, I meant to draw out the reverse concept of lack of intelligibility. To further draw out this point, a short story that I once heard is likewise helpful. In the story, you have a child who commits some wrongdoing. He may spontaneously decide to hit his sibling, to give a specific example. When he is questioned by his parents as to his motivation for this wrongdoing, he answers in a Thomistic fashion as a proper follower of Aquinas would. Mother and father, because that action was evil, there can be no motivation for it. At this point one is supposed to chuckle. But continuing on. I do think there is some aspect of motivation that can be said for sin, however. Yes, evil is another way of describing a privation. A pie that is missing a slice is no longer a whole pie, a gazelle deprived of life by a pouncing lion is no longer a whole gazelle, or even a gazelle at all for that matter, and the action of a person stealing from another person is deficient in that one goes against justice, which according to Aquinas, gives to each one that which is his, so that it belongs to theft to take possession of what is another's. Yet, we may consider the actions that led to the forming of bad habits, or a bad vision of the world, and at the same time realize there are so many aspects of sin that simply do not make sense. To take one example selected from Augustine's tractates on the Gospel of John, consider a man who is carrying some sort of burden. I found myself in the airport with a large suitcase recently, and at the slightest chance, when given any opportunity, I would put down that large suitcase for some sort of relief. This suitcase was even something I cared about, it contained valued personal belongings. In many other situations, I have often carried even more valuable heavy objects with me, such as musical instruments. Yet, at the slightest opportunity, despite the valued nature of that burden, I would put them down to relieve my body from that load. Now, how much more so will someone who is carrying something truly burdensome want to put down that object for relief? For example, consider a workman doing manual labor carrying a heavy bag of cement across a parking lot. That is his job and daily toil and you will likely not find him gleefully carrying that heavy bag of cement across a parking. Yet, in a spiritual sense, sin is very much a burden. Yes, we can quibble about the details again of it being non-being, but there is a real aspect in which sin carries on even beyond the act, which is the proper privation itself. When we sin, there is the action itself, and the consequences of the action, as most people realize. That ball one through through a window will leave a broken trail of glass. That gossip will leave a broken trail of a reputation. Even within oneself, sins will leave regret and disgust at what occurred should one still have a working conscience and not be so habituated to that sin so as to no longer see it as evil. Even within our very nature, some sins cause a particular rebellion. The recoiling of the stomach after sinning through gluttony by excess, the hangover after a night spent downing a bottle after bottle of Stroh's American lager beer. Those consequences have been spelled out in detail by theologians down the ages, but it is enough to say that they weigh us down in a very similar fashion to how other real objects do there is even more than can be said about why exactly sin is a burden. Sin has many effects, sometimes very visible, but in the spiritual realm, which does affect us due to our composite nature of body and soul, spirit and matter, we are likewise changed. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, it is said that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Sin causes spots and wrinkles on us, but what exactly are those spiritual spots and wrinkles? First, one must consider the goods of man, in order to see how those goods can become wrinkled and become spotted. There is of course the very good of one's existence, then various powers that one gets because one exists, such as sight and smell, what are typically referred to as senses. One also has the powers of intellect and will, which are philosophical terms for the ability one has to choose and love, associated with the will and the ability to reason and think, associated with the intellect. It is especially within these last two that the concrete wounds of sin become apparent. There is now a discordance between the intellect and the rest of oneself. One now can become totally unhinged when hungry, utterly driven by one's stomach instead of one's mind. The medievals numbered these specific problems as a result of sin at four, namely weakness, ignorance, malice, and concupiscence. A brief definition of each will suffice to show just how deeply sin affects us, and prompt us all the more so to seek forgiveness. The mind's deprivation of proper order is known as ignorance. The heart's deprivation of proper order is known as malice. The last two are slightly more complicated, being associated with what are known as the concupiscible and irascible faculties, which is far afield from the present survey of sin, put as simply as possible, our general passions or emotions are likewise disordered. Regardless of all of this medieval distinction quibbling, the core of all of these is a general disorder between many separate parts of the human person. The mind wants to do one thing, the heart wants to do another, the stomach is wanting to do another, and all of this leads to a general burden only further amplified by sin. But we do not want to remove ourselves of that burden. How often is it said by those who have not been to the sacrament of reconciliation, upon their return from the confessional, I felt such a burden taken off. They can actually feel this burden of sin, just as one feels the load carrying heavy groceries from the market or lugging a suitcase through the airport. But prior to that moment, they did not flee to the confessional, and it is very possible that even after this experience they will still not flee to the confessional. This is the aspect of lack of intelligibility that I hope to draw out in this short reflection. We do not want to remove this burden that we very much should. We do not consider spiritual things in the same fashion as material things, and we need to strive to remedy that. We must pray for the guidance to view sin as the burden it is, and have the same urge to remove ourselves from its weight that we will with any other material burden. So, go to confession and repent. Thank you.